over. No, don't just go roving. Run the play, Jackie Moon. I'm creating a diversion, though, by running in circles on the team. Gringos podcast. This is episode nine of season two. We've uh, we've already surpassed our episodes of, of season one. So congratulations to us. They've ordered more episodes this season. So um, <laughs> we've got a lot going on today. Liverpool, obviously, tons of tons of happenings despite the international break. Um, their collapse at Southampton. Um, a little bit of bright spot with an advance against Manchester City in the Europa League and then looking forward to a quarterfinal matchup with Dortmund and uh, sizing up our opponents there. Uh, we'll also talk some most likely bogus transfer rumors and uh, other <laughs> other international break stuff. From there, we'll go on to... Uh, U.S. soccer and just all of the craziness surrounding Charles Stilitano, the kit release, the rebrand of U.S. soccer, the, oh man, there's almost too much to mention. <laughs> um, so we, uh, we want to get it started um, by doing just a small tribute to Johan Cruyff, who passed away this morning, so... Um, just from our small corner of the football universe, want to send our our thoughts to his family and uh, indeed to the greater families of Ajax and Barcelona in the Netherlands, which are affected by his passing. So anything to add to that? I was just going to open my second Tejas lager and, uh, and 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 cheers to him and i, I can't cheers pour a little out because we because we just cleaned but uh yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was on my mind it was on my mind now sad day sad day for football fans like we were joking yes. around uh, before about players that he might have influenced but uh just i think the modern game that we get to watch today is from Bayern to barcelona um even maybe Arsenal and, and, and some of the English football that is more appealing is is really down to his style that he kind of not pioneered but definitely uh, almost in a way that he put a touch on it like Michael Jordan did I think for basketball in a way that he kind of shaped future players and 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 the way that the modern game looks like too so it's uh yeah it, uh, Brazil is the uh Hoga Benita but it's it's 
a, a different kind of realm that that he brought to the table too. So sad day, sad day for football, um, but a lot of positive quotes coming out about the the impact that he has and how he'll 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 continue to live on through that too. So yeah, it's impossible to argue with the impact that that Johan Cruyff had on on the game and will continue to have um, with you know between total football to individual skill on the ball his uh his impact is going to be felt for a long long time so uh sad day but again like you said it's uh his his legacy is going to live on well beyond many of us so um with that we can transition into our uh our first topic here which which is liverpool and despite the fact that we're firmly in the grips of the international break uh we do have that last sour taste still lingering from what can only be described as an utter disaster of a collapse at saint mary's stadium in southampton uh the defeat has been firmly attributed to one person who has been roundly <laughs> criticized on this this podcast in in previous iterations so no love lost. Um, i want to hand it over to you at this point because i think you've earned the right through your making your opinions known over the past two plus years about this individual and uh talk about martin skirtle so let's get let we'll jump right into it just right Let's, about what what he does that bring down brings down the team so horribly Klopp after the game said you know I think he was attributing it to the amount of games that they're playing but it, it wasn't even it wasn't even that bad you know previously what December January is pretty rough but Klopp kind of yeah. took the pressure took the ownership didn't take the ownership on himself but more kind of blamed it on the schedule, which which is bullshit, because we played amazing in against over two legs against United, especially over the first leg. But the yeah. first half, the first half against Southampton was, I mean, unbelievable. They didn't they didn't even deserve to be in the same breath as Liverpool the way that half was going. The only no. thing that changed it was the introduction of Martin Skirtle. The the three goals, all three goals. So I, I was taking a look back because I, I once he came on, I was like, "Fuck it!" You know, this is this is the downfall for Liverpool right now. I thought yeah. a two goal cushion would have been enough, but after they scored the first, I I knew, I knew. But just going through the three goals. So the first one, we're going to really attribute to Flanagan and and kind of his error that led to it. But again, Martin Skirtle's completely out of position. And every, all three, every three goal, or all three of the goals that were scored, Sacco had to cover a right center back position for uh, what is it, Mane or Pele? That that mm-hmm. scored, but Sacco's in Skirtle's position every single time. So it, yes. it even almost looks like Sacco didn't do a good job of closing down or coming closer to the defender or whatever. But he's in Skirtle's position every time, so he's out of position on the Flanagan tackle. He's a no man land. Mane scores a force. And for the second goal, he misses a tackle. He's also out of position. I think it was Pele that scored the second goal, was it? Yes. Yeah, and the curler the into the uh, left-hand side. The, the third one, a 
I believe it was Minule Miskick. See, even my dogs are upset. A Minule Miskick. <laughs> it was, yeah. And leading to a Martin Skirtle, his one attribute that it's almost like Benteke, his one attribute that, that we can speak positively of is his aerial ability, misses the header, then misses a tackle, and he's completely out of position on, on, on both of those, leading to the winning goal for Southampton, too. So Skirtle right. is direct. Well, it's not even, or it is. It's it's a, a factor of him coming in, consistently being out of a out of position. And for this game, he was too far forward. Games past, he's normally too far behind and leaving people let runs in behind because he's keeping right. them on side. But he's out of position every single time, and that's that's what we've had over the previous games that he's been out. And I think the stat that was going around was over seven hundred, over eight hundred minutes with no goals. Yeah. Or, or something. Yeah, I believe it was 795 minutes. In regular time or something like that. And then Skirtle comes in and 45 minutes, three goals. It, it's just yeah. – and that, that to me is the ultimate. There's no, there's no debate left. That game just it, – it, it's not the icing on the cake. It's the, it's the bullshit on the cake because it's, it's rancid and it's disgusting, and that's what Martin Skirtle is. But <laughs> – it, it shows you how well we were playing and the kind of momentum that we were building up, and it's completely ruined. And it's been like that for for years. And the the defense that a lot of people come to Skirtle is that they're they're looking at it with almost like rose tinted glasses, where they're just like, oh, you know, he's done so much for us in the past, and that's just bullshit because he had one he he hasn't. People think that he's been this figure in Liverpool for almost a decade you know he's been here for what eight years which is about seven years too long and but he has he hasn't been a, a, a featured player until what thir- was it really 13 14 right and yes. all that he contributed there were were and he had a he was the catalyst for a lot of games that we probably would not have won without his goals but that that's the only thing that he's provided and even during that 13 14 season I, we even talked about him being a defensive liability and the fact that him scoring those goals probably and negatively solidified his place in the starting 11. Even though he was right. providing those goals, we st- we knew at the time that you know if we win the league, that, that's going to be phenomenal, and he deserves a lot of credit for, for putting us ahead in some of those games. But we knew that the following year it was going to be awful because whether it's Carragher, whether it's Agger, even Sacco, who's been – you know, as good of a center back as can be after he kind of got over that tip in form once he came back. Right. It, I mean, Sako, Sako can't, it doesn't matter what center back, it could be Hummels, it could be company that you put in there alongside of him. We've talked about it, it's not just, you know, four positions or two positions defensively, but it's got to be a cohesive unit and it, it, it's just wiped away completely whenever Skirtle's on the pitch because there's no, whether it's communication, whether it's just him, you know, playing like uh, Will Ferrell in basketball, where he just says, "I'm going rover." That's that's basically Martin <laughs> Skirtle's approach to, to defense, and he's just he goes rogue, and then all all is lost there too. So it was just it was a punch in the gut because the the win against United, the first half that we had. And you gotta you gotta put a lot of it on Klopp too. For you know, you can kind of understand it at the time. Right. But honestly, I think I honestly think we do better with ten men 
as long as one of them isn't Martin Skirtle, then 11. Because it's... <laughs> I tend move, to agree move Chan, move Chan to center back, you know, that, and we'll, we'll make do. And then at least we're, we're set up defensively more with 10 men. But it, it, you know, you can't fault Skirtle, you can't fault Penteke for wanting to come on and play. Um, you right. can fault them for not doing their job. But Klopp also has to be the one to make the call and say that no matter whether Lovren's got a yellow or whatever, uh, you can't, you know, this, from this point on, Skirtle cannot play in another Liverpool game. He can't, he got sent off in under 21. We didn't even, I didn't even mention the, the penalty yeah. that he gave up because yeah. that's, that's how catastrophic a defender he is. Is he, he didn't even, he, he, he didn't even fit in with the under twenty ones. Right, he cannot he cannot feature again. It's not even a debate. It it is a serious question mark on Klopp if he continues to have Martin Skrull feature. We've got we've got we've got other players. We've uh, fucking put uh, put Colo out there. Yeah. Colo's, he, I mean Colo's not not always consistent, but he's he's not Skrull. He's not Skrull. I would have taken. I would have had Calker play before Skirtle. I would have had. I would have had Kevin Stewart in defense before <laughs> before Martin Kevin. Skirtle. Yeah, I, I'd put. I'd throw. I. I mean, Alori. I. I would test anyone back there before before I put in Skirtle again. And it, I think when we look back, a lot of people look at that thirteen fourteen season. And say, you know, look at what he brought to the table. But you look before that season, and he partnered uh, with Daniel Ag- Daniel Agger for a number of seasons. Um, and I think he was even kind of second choice to Carragher. Um, so for the most part, it was Agger and Carragher in defense. Um, and even before that, it was Sammy Hoopia, and it was... So Skirtle's never, like you said, he's never been number one. And when he was number one in in thirteen fourteen, sure he scored goals, but how many own goals did he concede? Like, not to mention defensive errors. Like strictly own goals. His his goal differential was probably even. Um, I think it actually between, was. It was either five goals or seven own goals that he scored because he set a record. Because he scored seven goals. Um, but I think he, he scored either five or seven own goals. So the amount that he actually brought to the team was pretty minimal. Um, overall, like when you gauge his impact across uh, the entire season now, game to game, sure. You know, is the Arsenal game a five one in, in 13, 14 without him? Maybe not, Mm -hmm. but we were rampant in that game, regardless of the corners. So Um, you know, we could have ended up with, with five or seven regardless. Um, and I think after, uh, 13, 14, you have, you know, Agar, Agar departs and we've got Skirtle partnering with, uh, Lovren or Sacco and all of those pairings, we were like, oh, this is catastrophic. Like, Mm-hmm. This is no good. Skirtle, you know, Skirtle plus whoever was a bad pairing, and now we've got an extended, we've gotten an extended exposure 
to Lover and Sako, and it's a fantastic pairing, probably the best we've had since Carragher Agger. Yeah. And and we got exposed to it. Everyone still has question marks about Lovren, but I think now it's obvious that compared to a pairing of Skirtle plus anyone, Lovren is is much preferred. Lovren and Colo played better. Lovren and Sako have played have played brilliantly recently. Um, and I think this game just solidified that regardless of the fact that Skirtle's been out with injury. Um, I think Klopp, I think Klopp sees an opportunity to gain back a little bit of depth at center back yeah. and sees us up to nothing and sees us in total control and is like, all right, Lovren's <laughs> on a yellow card. Don't want to lose him. We'll put on Skirtle, get him some fitness but Skirtle immediately shows, you know, why putting him in, regardless of the situation, we could have been up for nothing, and it still would have been a risky call to put to put Skirtle in. So, oh, yeah. um, it's just he, like you said, he's he's just showcased now, finally in disaster, in an absolutely disastrous way, that he can't be trusted to to put on the shirt again it's just it cannot happen um and and hopefully it doesn't um we would have have said that before like this halftime's coming on we're you and i are probably sitting there watching the game thinking there's this this should not be happening but right still there were still question marks right now i don't know who is left the only defense i saw against girdle was Oh, he's given us some such good memories in the club in eight years or whatever. And I'm like, bullshit, he hasn't. Aside I'm trying from to remember him. He's in 13, 14. Yeah. So I don't know where this this kind of skirtle as a, a, a cult figure or whatever is coming from. But now there there can't be what on this there can be no debate, right? There it's no. nobody could argue. And he he should not feature, he shouldn't feature that game. And maybe the same should be said about Ben Teke who I mean, now it just would have been an equalizer, but uh, who, who maybe could make the game to rest. But I, so let's let's we can switch off Skirtle because I think it's pretty clear, um, <laughs> and I think I think there is a lot less debate on this um, now. It's yeah. it's very hard for his supporters to back him up, and I think some of that is a misattribution. Some of the glory days thoughts are misattributions to Skirtle. When in reality, the person that they're thinking of is Daniel Agger, because yeah. for me, Daniel Agger was a far more, uh, you know, he made way more appearances and was far more a um, a leader and and a, a focal point of of Liverpool's defense, you know, mm-hmm. for years rather than um, kind of a peripheral figure like Skirtle um, was for so long. You know, Agger. Agger was, you know, one of the best, probably one of the best foreign players and like kind of followed in the footsteps of Sammy Hupia. Um, as far as the club's concerned, like could have been, could have been captain under different circumstances, you know, with, if it weren't oh, yeah. for Stevie. Um, so I think, uh, and I think getting rid of Daniel Agger rather than Martin Skirtle at the end of thirteen fourteen was a huge mistake. And I think yeah, we're right. still, we're still paying for that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, because they bought Sako, they saw Agger's left-footed, so they so they moved him mm-hmm. on. Um, well, where... I don't know. 
it, it, I don't know how prevalent that is across the Premier League or European football, but I it, it that was the first time I'd really only heard about it was under Rodgers and right. his steadfastness of left center back, left footed right center back. Right, footed. right, yeah. It he makes sense, it makes sense to have traditional fullbacks, but it really doesn't matter all that much if you've got for your center back. No, it really doesn't. It, in my mind, it it matters. Like you said, if if you have more traditional fullbacks, but honestly, as long as you have a midfielder who's going to link up with your center backs, then mm. it doesn't really matter if the guy on the right is left footed or or what. It doesn't yeah. really doesn't really make a difference. I mean, it helps that we have Lovren, who's kind of kind of two footed, um, mm. but I don't think. I don't think if you put Sacco on the right, he automatically becomes a complete liability or, you know, wouldn't be able to pass the ball out of defense. It's just, it's just about having an outlet, not about necessarily, you know, being left or right footed. Yeah. But, but uh, we can talk about the other substitution because Klopp obviously <laughs> kind of came under fire for this and you mentioned it briefly, but uh, Christian Benteke comes on Liverpool need, well, they didn't need a goal at that point, but that he gets an opportunity, a uh, another one-on-one, and uh, can't put away a uh, what many would have considered a a sitter. So we talked about Klopp making some mistakes. Is is the Benteke substitution uh, a mistake? <laughs> Yes, not just in hindsight, but also the the way he came. Benteke came in at two one, right? Yes. In a two one, you don't like if it's two two. If you're down a goal and you're being more direct, Benteke makes sense, even for all all his faults. Benteke makes sense if if that's your style of play. If you're going to go direct, right. so for him to come in whenever you have a lead, it. I, I think it was definitely premature to take Sturridge off, but both Sturridge and Origi are, are are good on the ball. They're good with the ball, and they're good kind of linking up with the midfield and, and, and keeping control of possession, too. And Benteke just, Benteke just isn't, and he, he doesn't have the same movement that they do. So yeah. I, I think that was definitely a mistake coming on. Obviously, now in hindsight, it looks even worse that he missed the one-on-one. But it, that, that instance of Benteke missing the one-on-one was... Kind of should, same as Skirtle. Like Benteke was supposed to have this. I, I didn't believe it at the time, but after he scored the penalty, he was supposed to have this. You know, oh, he's getting his form back or whatever, which I right. I didn't believe. Second, no. but the the one on one opportunity that he missed just goes to show that there he probably should not feature either. And I think maybe the, I, I saw a couple people say Benteke's comments are actually beneficial because it makes him seem almost disgruntled. Rather than a player that's just wasting away, uh, and that could be a good thing for us in terms of recouping. You know, I, I think we'll still get a sizable sum for Benteke. I wouldn't be surprised if we got twenty twenty five million for him. Uh, right, and a hit of nine is it, it? It won't be as bad as Carroll, um, but it it just goes to show that I don't. It wasn't as bad of a decision as bringing Skirtle on, but it. it 
who else do we have on the bench? I don't know. I mean, with, we have center back options. With Benteke, I don't – I mean, even yeah. just bringing on another midfielder in that situation just to control the game, it, I, I didn't I didn't understand the Benteke substitution. So, after the one-on-one, it doesn't make sense to Right. I think – I think watching Sturridge in the minutes before he was substituted, um, I kind of understood the sub because he looked slow. And I, I don't know if it was just he's he's still kind of pacing himself a little bit or he's worried about straining himself. Yeah, um, I think But there were a couple balls like right before he got substituted where they were chipped down the line or that he could chase. And he just didn't even really run after it or came no nowhere near it. Um, and it just, it looked like the game had kind of gone beyond him. So, like, yeah. I kind of saw why Sturridge got substituted. The, the question, like you said, is, you know, do you bring on a striker at that point at 2-1? Um, and I think in, Klopp mind, in Klopp's mind, you, you do because you, you have a chance to, you know, kill the game. It, it completely puts it beyond Southampton. The whole comeback thing um, is is killed before it can get off the ground. Um, and from from Klopp's perspective too, you have this record fee striker sitting on the bench, <laughs> and all he needs to do is what the team had done technically three times already, which was put the ball in the back of the net. Yeah. Um, and it seems like he's the only dude in the whole roster who just can't do it. <laughs> he can do it from the spot, but he cannot do it from open play to save his life. Like, gun to his head, he would miss. Yeah. I don't in, understand well, it. In this club side, too, for him not to be a player that can be involved in a counterattack. Because when you press like that, you're going to get opportunities. You're going to get one-on-one opportunities. And we've had plenty. And for him to be unable to finish those opportunities, one of it, I think it is just, it's a dip in form. And I think you're going to have that for for a lot of players that come from a a mid-label or a mid-table or lower-table club. Um, It's tough. and, And some just can't handle the pressure. And I think... That that could lead us into I think with Lalana it's a different question, but with Benteke I, I I don't see I don't see the turnaround at this here's, point. Here's what, either. Yeah. Here's what really made me mad during Benteke's cameo. This was what really pissed me off, and I tweeted about it during the game, is Benteke took two what I've come to call Fellaini touches. Um, in the box, which is you receive the ball in the box and you pass it back out into midfield. So yeah, it's the ultimate non-striker move. You don't attempt to turn, don't attempt to get a shot off. You just receive it, look around, pass it back. Um, and for a striker of his caliber, you know, the, the level that he sees himself at, I guess, for a striker at that level, for you to receive the ball in the box or near the box and not try to turn or work a shot, I mean, what are you even doing? Like, Think about Monty's goals, too. The 
both of his goals, he receives the ball. He just takes a simple, both were almost identical. He just does yeah. a simple dip of the shoulder, turns, and that gives him enough, even against Sako, that gives him enough space. So, yeah, both of those, uh, I remember you saying that too with the Fellaini touches. Those, anytime that you get the ball in the box, is a chance for a striker to score, uh, yeah. let alone a one on one opportunity. I mean, it's, it, it, there's just no excuse at this point for, for Benteke. Yeah, but, but if we if we have to keep one, obviously I'll keep Benteke. Uh, yeah, but both <laughs> I'll it, it, all in him. And, and I, don't, I don't know about I don't know about Benteke. If we if we keep Benteke, it's not the worst thing in the world. Obviously, he's not first choice. Um, right. But same for what even a season two seasons ago, you're talking about Benteke and Lukaku, and maybe even Benteke getting the edge. Over Lukaku, yeah. and this he's he's one of the most informed strikers in the Premier League. So there's always a chance, as we've seen with Skirtle, or not Skirtle. I'm sorry, fuck Skirtle. As we've seen with Lovren, <laughs> that a, a player can turn it around. Right? It's it's right. Lovren form was consistently consistently bad. Would it? Would it's not like you know one player comes in like the second Benteke arrives and and, and kind of sees a dip in form. Everybody's you know saying Benteke out, or if we're not scoring first five minutes, we're playing horribly. Um, but he he's got a lot, he's got a long way to go, yeah. uh, and he's certainly not a thirty plus million dollar world class striker. But he's he's got he's got talent. He could feature, but um, no. Not in that game. No. And I I do want to talk because obviously there was positives out of that game. Um, the the big positive being, I mean, the counterattacking football that was on display in, in the first half was on par with anything I've seen the last few seasons from anywhere in the world. Like, ridiculously fast ridiculously incisive exactly what you want oh yeah from from a a clop side or a a pressing side um and at the center of it surprisingly for all of for all of uh phil coutinho's brilliance in the first half um and he was brilliant i i don't want to i don't want to set set him aside but so the catalyst that I was noti- noticing for most of the first half was none other than the Welsh Pirlo, Joe Allen. <laughs> Had an amazing, aside from the the, the missed one-on-one, which oh, which killed me. You you expect that from Joe Allen. You don't you do. necessarily expect that from Menteke. Or, or, I mean, we know, but... Right. And then the I thought it was what do you think about the the goal that was ruled offside for uh what Sako was ruled offside. So I get why they called it. Yeah. I don't think they should have mm-hmm. because I think um I don't think Forster's getting anywhere near it, regardless of Sako. Yeah. Um but that was like I know that they're trying to kind of enforce the new rule and say if you're in an offside position and you affect the play, but was Sako really affecting the play? In my mind, no, because I think that's going in regardless. But um, I can see why they've given it. 
I didn't like how late the flag was, though, mm-hmm. um, because that that just always is when they take that much time to make a decision like offside. That's that's a little um, that's a little. I, I I don't appreciate the the late call um, and the fact that they let it go on for so long um, before they they chalked it off. But yeah. um, luckily, I was. I was watching with some feed from the Middle East or something because I hate it. What's <laughs> on? But uh, I had actually seen it pop up on on Twitter, so I wasn't heartbroken whenever because I had already seen it. Right. But yeah, it, if you're if you're a Southampton fan or if it's the other way, we're thinking, oh yeah, that's what that's what it says in the rule book. But I don't think there's any way that that shot's getting stopped. But uh, no. Um, but uh, overall, as, as as a midfield performance, uh, hell of a game by the the Welsh Javi or the the Welsh Pirlo or bearded Pirlo or whatever, whatever <laughs> player, whatever tier we're putting them in now. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Um, I think yeah, I think that's that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> that I, I I can honestly say I think that's probably Joe Allen's best best performance for Liverpool. Um, since he's joined and that type of performance minus, you know, if he had gotten the goals that he probably should have, um, we're talking, you know, he's, he's going down in history, but I think that that Joe Allen is the one that we thought we were getting, um, Mm -hmm. when we first bought him and the energy and the winning the ball in, in our half and their half, he was all over the place and all of the positives that we kind of, and I use we in a very general sense that a lot of Liverpool fans have kind of started heaping on Lalana for his, you know, work rate and running and all this stuff. Like Joe Allen was actually all over the place. Um, yeah. And creating stuff. He wasn't winning the ball back and then passing it sideways. He was winning the ball back and finding and runners in forward. front of him and pushing forward and running ball. forward. It was yeah, it, it was it was a much more dynamic performance than I think we've seen from Joe Allen um, since he's joined. Um, we always we we joked on an episode a while back. What does he even bring to the team? Like we had no idea. It, and it, um, rightfully so, right? There's been yeah. so many there after a certain amount of performances where you consistently perform bad for Benteke, for Lovren, for Allen, for Lolana, who we can talk about too. You, it, fans have every right to to criticize players if if they're consistently showing us that too. Yeah. What what I think we have to realize now is that now for for Allen, it, it was that kind of one. Maybe not a one-off, but it was it was the one game. It was that first half, um, and but you know if he does show some consistency, then maybe we've got to think about it a, a little bit differently in the way that we're viewing player performance. So but, uh, speak, speaking of speaking of consistency and player performance, um, we had we had a goal from one Daniel Sturridge, which is always good to see. Um, Wish it was in a winning effort, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a goal from Sturridge in a game in which Roberto Firmino was hurt and therefore unavailable. So this is something that we've kind of 
uh, led up to for the last few weeks, but is Roberto Firmino and Daniel Sturridge a partnership that's not going to ever come to fruition in the way that we might like? And we were we were kind of worried about it, right? I said right after Sturridge scored that depending on how this game goes, we've got a lot of questions to ask. But even the fact that he he did score and the timing of their goals always seems to come when the other is not on the pitch. And so when Firmino kind of hit, he still is when he was in peak. He's been in peak form as good as any other Premier League player. It it was with Sturridge out for the most part. Sturridge featuring as a sub later on right. so it it was it was a little bit crazy. and that was what we were thinking is Firmino up top even if he can't be in a partnership is that enough for us up front uh, because I think we've shown that Sturridge I don't know, it, I'm not going to say that we're, we're convinced for for Sturridge being enough on his own up front because uh, I think he's shined definitely more with a partnership but we still got a small sample size, but you know, where there's, where there's smoke, there's fire. So it's something that we, we definitely need to see some more games and see if there is time for them to gel. Um, but you would think, you would think it was Firmino playing almost like a Suarez type. You would think that it would be a good fit with Sturridge. So, and I don't know, just that 13, 14 season with, with Sturridge and, and Suarez and even capping off the season before they, it, it was almost immediate. So it's, again, it could, some of it could be down to form an injury for Sturridge. The same reason why he's looked, you know, a step slow this season. I think it's not necessarily that he's lost a step, but it's more that he's trying to stay within himself so that he doesn't get injured. So I think yeah. if we've got a, a fully fit and we know Sturridge, it's not just, physicality but also mentally too if we've got a Sturridge at a hundred percent of both of those and we've got a Firmino at a hundred percent that's that's what I'm interested to see because right now it, it doesn't look like it seems like we're better with one than with both um right and and I think the best Liverpool squad is going to have not necessarily two out and out strikers uh but some type of partnership um pairing up front especially if we're if you're a pressing team, you have to have – if it's one strike, then it's got to be three attacking midfielders behind them. Or if it, you need two strikers really up there to put right. to put the pressure on. Um, and, and I think Sturridge still has a little bit a little bit of a way to go with fitness um, before before we can do that. Yeah, I would have – I kind of thought about this one in the context of this last game and those attacks in the first half, and I just – mentally photoshopped um, Firmino in Origi's place. And for me, in that particular game, Firmino would have provided, you know, as much, if not more, than than Origi um, in that mm-hmm. kind of counterattacking style. Um, so I'm a little less worried having seen Sturridge play at pace like that because mm-hmm. um, I think they will I think that partnership can come together I really do um, and I think it'll be brilliant once it does yeah. until then and until we can you know at some point God may allow um, all of them <laughs> to play 
on the pitch at the same time at a hundred percent um fitness but you know until that point it it is kind of a cause for concern because they they haven't really performed when both both of them are on the pitch but i i think for players as good as them and um as creative as as coutinho firmino uh you know sturridge and uh well hopefully a new attacker in the in the summer and yeah. uh and not Adam Lallana but um I think that I think that group up top can can really be deadly um and they showed they showed glimpses of that uh in this game against Southampton where they probably should have been four goals up at halftime um yeah minimum minimum of four yeah uh I I mentioned him just a second ago, but Adam Lallana's influence in the Liverpool team has been increasingly mentioned, I'll say, um, (laughs) by Liverpool fans and by, well, NBC. I was going to say media, but really just NBC. Um, Really all that exists here for us when it comes to football coverage. Um, so yeah, <laughs> um, so Adam Lallana's influence has been, uh, ever since really ever since Klopp took over Lallana's had more, more involvement in games. And now after the last few games where, you know, he scored some goals and he's, he's assisted some goals, um, you know, as opposed to the zero for the first half of the season. Um, after that, people have, have kind of let off of Adam Lallana recently and, uh, and kind of let, let him up a little or let up on him a little bit, not, uh, not being as critical of him as they had been. Um, do you think that's warranted given like a little bit of a um, increase in his productivity? production recently you're giving me the lalana question i should be giving you the lalana that's like ask, that's <laughs> well i'll let you start it off and then i'll see like, where asking you where about skirtle or the the flanning and marina <laughs> no, i i i agree with you i was going to ask you one i think i don't think it's lalana that has improved under klopp i think it's the entire team that has improved under Klopp. Maybe Lalana a little bit, but I see the same things out of Lalana now that we saw at the start of the season under Rodgers. I I don't I really don't see any difference. My question to you is then going to be: Do you not think that there's a spot for Lalana with Firmino, with Coutinho, with Origi, with Sturridge, do we not need maybe one of those attacking midfielders to provide maybe just pressing, to provide some control, to provide distribution? Before we needed Lalana to score goals, to score assists, not to score, to, to score goals or provide assists because we weren't getting any. Once the goals started coming, is it still necessary? To for Lalana to do that, or can we get by with? So yeah, I think I think when it comes to the Lalana question, um, his 
his pressing does does provide us, you know, with with some stability and some some amount of control over the game. Um, but my my problem with Lolana is in the games when he's not a hundred percent on, um, when he's not playing at his very best, he loses possession a lot and gives it away. Um, so for me, that player who is going to be tasked with, you know, providing, providing the pressing and, and that running and energy, I think he needs to basically play like Joe Allen did in this last game. Um, and that's all your passing has to be accurate, but it has to be positive. Um, and Lolana for me, he's just not, he's just not that creative. Like people will point to the fact that he has six assists and say, you know, look, he's creating, but Adam Lolana hasn't done a, something creative in God knows how long. Um, it, one of his assists, the ball literally accidentally hit his foot on the way through to Firmino. Um, the uh you know one of his, one of his goals was was a a 20 25 or 30 yarder that skidded across the ground <laughs> and somehow Hart didn't save like he's just not to me you look at you look at players like Firmino and Coutinho and they can press and and also can create um yeah. and when Especially. they win the ball you you look like Coutinho in this last game, Coutinho immediately had his head up and looked for the early release pass out of midfield um, to find the forwards, you know, running in behind. And he just, Lolana doesn't have that ability. And every time that he receives the ball, he never, he never immediately looks up to pass. And yeah. so often he carries the ball because he is a good dribbler. Like, he he has some 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 tricks but he he runs down these he holds onto the ball for so long that he he can't he can't create anything mm-hmm. because the pass is gone and now he's you know he's not in a position to shoot so he lofts like a cross in that gets headed away easily you know he just he doesn't have the vision um or the ability to create that um that the likes of Firmino and Coutinho and, and even Sturridge to an extent uh, have, you know, I would say Sturridge is probably a more, a more creative player with a little more vision in the box. And, it, you know, he's able to find and, and bring in other people into the play, but I can count on one hand, the amount of decent like through passes Lalana's completed since he joined the team. Um, yeah. And, and it's just, I think it, you know, for all his energy, we 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 can find energetic players who are also skillful, um, and and can also create ahead of them. We don't we don't need to waste a spot on an attacking mid who who can't you know play a through ball or or beat beat someone on the dribble like he with a dribble, but he'll never he'll never go past someone. It's just not it's just not in his blood. I think, and this is getting, I think, said by some of the more fans, that, that Lalana's a, a squad player, right? He's he's 
and this is our problem. So many of our players are fine in the squad, but they're not. The spending has been so bad. We've we've touched on that before. We don't right. necessarily go into it. But if it's a question of Lalana player like. <laughs> What's there something like that that you get Lana out of that starting eleven as soon as you can? Right. Because that, that's what we should be linked with now that we have Klopp, some a, a higher tier of players. Lana has screamed a Rogers signing since he came in, um, and with with a world class manager, you you should be able to pull in some of the higher talent as well. So, um, squad player, yes starting 11 consistently he just hasn't he hasn't provided it yet no um speaking of speaking of a man that that you just mentioned uh mario gutza liverpool square up against his boyhood club borussia dortmund where he he made his name under jurgen klopp and they'll be they'll be facing off in the quarterfinals of the europa league after this international break, which is, seems to be dragging on forever, um, <laughs> even though it's been like four days, oh no, <laughs> um, done. the uh, once the international break is over, they'll square up uh, first first week in April, I think. Um, so the I know we've been talking during the week, but uh, <laughs> is. Is there a rivalry brewing between uh, Dortmund and Liverpool after all the bad blood between between Liverpool and and United in the in the uh, round of round of sixteen? I mean, United. They, just when you you don't hate, I'm not going to say it like that. Just when United aren't as you know, they're not on top, so they're not as uh, they're not as maybe offensive. No, that's not even right either. The it, way that we haven't had to see them not lift the trophies. Anymore. Basically, it, it takes a little. You know, you, you don't have to hate them as much. Right. But then they come back with the the murderers' banners and all the and the full entire stadium. So there's no. There are just some clubs that just have awful fan bases, and uh, Liverpool is going to have a, a small minority. Arsenal's just unbearable because they're just nonstop <laughs> everything. But fan bases like Chelsea and United, where it's just consistently on a whole and I think the stadium is a great representation of the type of fan base that you have. Right. And when it comes to Dortmund, when it comes to Liverpool, I, I tried. I, I tried as hard as I could to manufacture some type of bad blood between the manager, between <laughs> the clubs. I, I don't know. I, I, maybe I didn't have enough on my plate, but I went for it. I could not find a thing. I thought I saw a couple a couple tweets maybe last week of some quotes from, I think McCutcheon was the only, the player that said, like, Klopp's a madman. And maybe I saw something. But there's, there's nothing. There's nothing there because they're two incredible fan bases, two incredible atmospheres, two great clubs um, that have – Especially within modern football, clubs like Liverpool, clubs like Dortmund, Atletico Madrid, I think are kind of, even though you you can't compare our form to where the other the latter two have been, right? But they're they're kind of like this second tier 
of football where you have PSG, you have Madrid, you have Barcelona, you have Chelsea, these money clubs that have kind of shaped the game today, right. uh, especially transfers and all that. But then you have the clubs that have kind of, uh, you've got the history there. You've got great passionate fan bases. And, and so I kind of view it like that. Like it's, it's almost like the hipsters, the hipsters dream. Maybe <laughs> Tottenham fans think they're like that, but it, it, at the end of the day, you're still Tottenham. So you can't, you, you could very well win the league this year, but you're still Tottenham. Right. Uh, but they are. They're they're huge. They're huge clubs for different reasons than the huge money clubs are. And I think that's that's what's so attractive about this matchup. And I said the Europa League spoiled because you've got United Liverpool. Now you've got Dortmund Liverpool, which is and that's even what the manager said was it it's a dream matchup. It, it it's a dream matchup for us to see Southampton second half aside to see how, how far we've come and progressed right. to hit ourselves, not just against English teams because the premier league's been God awful and you could win. We, we can beat city, but we'll, we'll lose to Villa. So you, yeah. you, you never know. You can, it's tough to measure. <laughs> yeah. But I think we saw in the champions league last year that we were not cut out to compete, certainly against Madrid we weren't cut out to compete against Basel or any other ones. So I'm excited after the way that we performed against United over two legs. Granted, that's an awful United team. Um, but it doesn't matter how bad form is. United Liverpool, it always gives them a reason. And United's got a, just a wealth of talented players too. So you never know how that matchup's going to go. So I'm, <laughs> I'm excited. Dortmund is one of the best teams in the world right now. Yeah. So I'm, I'm terrified. I'm absolutely terrified of the matchup. But as a football fan, it's, it, it's got something for everybody too. So I did. I went for, I went for the manufactured rivalry. I, I tried to find any quote that I could from the manager, from players, and, and twist it completely to make it mean something different. I couldn't find anything. All it was was just positive just hugs and embraces from from both swats too so i think uh no it, it's just two very similar clubs two I, very similar clubs i think uh yeah I, I i don't think you'll see a matchup quite like this in in modern football as far mm-hmm. as two fan bases who um and two clubs that that share an admiration for each other quite like yeah. like dortmund and liverpool do um I mean the the anthems are the same like we were, we talked briefly before before we started recording. I mean you'll never walk alone at on both legs is going to be absolutely awe-inspiring. I think it's going to be it's going to be crazy. Um both sets of fans just belting belting out the anthem and and then you know there's not going to be the kind of uh I would say uh, the songs, uh, you know, criticizing either fan base or, or, you know, criticizing the other fan base. It's going to be it's going to be songs, you know, supporting their team and and singing uh, about the the club. And and uh, it's not going to be so much, uh, you know, there's there's not going to be the bad blood that there was that we saw, you know, in um, in the round of 16 against United. It's just these are two clubs that uh you know for for good reason have have a lot of history and um and are you know ultimately 
uh, two mm-hmm. fan bases that are going to have a lot of admiration for each other and how they do business. But I mean, like you said, it, <laughs> I'm absolutely terrified, especially having watched, uh, having watched Dortmund play. Um, I've watched them a few times this season, but I watched them most recently. I watched them play, play Tottenham in the, in the Europa league. And yeah. I mean, they, you know, uh, he, he played like a, uh, like a B squad basically um against Dortmund but the the bottom line is uh the core of the squad was was on the field you know there were, he didn't play Harry Kane but that doesn't stop you know Obama Yang from completely ripping him from off. just yeah and and Royce grabbing a brace and you know it, I mean it was a complete demolition at Dortmund and then it it was um it was comfortable for, for Dortmund at, at White Hart Lane. So uh, I think the difference that you'll see, uh, one is Klopp is obviously going to feel the full strength side because this is, this is pretty much it for us. This is our yeah. only route into the Champions League, um, however unlikely that is. Um, it's, it's our one shot, and it's our one shot at, uh, at Silverware. So um, he's, he's going to go for it. There's no question about it. This is now the most important competition and he gets to, uh, you know, he gets to revisit his old stomping grounds and and maybe uh, grab what would be a a famous victory for for Liverpool over what is definitely an an inform Dortmund side with probably one of you know the best or one of the you know inform strikers in world football in in oh, Aubameyang yeah. um, in the side. So it, I mean, it's going to be very interesting to watch. I I, I think. We both said it. It's it's a scary, scary matchup for anyone right now. I don't think anyone in the world wants to play Dortmund. I don't um, think Bayern wants to play Dortmund. No, right I mean they they played to a zero zero, that mm-hmm. could have been a five five, <laughs> if it weren't for two uh, you know class keepers. But uh, it'll yeah. be it'll be very interesting to see to see the games, and and they'll certainly be a spectacle regardless. Um, they'll be. They'll be so fun to watch, regardless of of what happens um, on the field, just due to the the atmosphere and and all of the uh, you know the storylines surrounding it. It'll be it'll be a lot of fun if if it is uh, you know it could get embarrassing if if things <laughs> don't quite go our way. Um, I think you were right though. I think we've got uh, for for Tottenham they were concerned about the league you know Dortmund is what they're within is it five points yeah they were they were within five I'll mm-hmm. I'll uh, get our stats guy on so, that one. I mean that's a realistic possibility for them but even if their goal is not necessarily to win the league but they, they'll be in the Champions League next year that's for sure so yeah. there's less there's less less pressure, not necessarily pressure, but there's less of a need for them to perform in Europa, and there's definitely a need after the Southampton game for us to perform well in Europa. So I think given the form, the way we performed against United, the way we perform, basically the way we perform without Martin Skirtle, I was thinking my, after United, after the first half of Southampton, I'm, uh, I was saying, you know, we'll, we could compete with just about any club in the world in terms of the form that we were in, the way that the players were playing. And that style, I think, allows you to compete with those top teams where you can disrupt their play. Uh, obviously, that, that 
focus kind of shifted after the second half of Southampton. And not that we would, I'm not saying we're as good as Barcelona, but the way that you're playing at that time, you're thinking, you know, put us, you've got a little bit of swagger to you. So you're thinking, put us up against anybody, put us up against Dortmund because we're, we're playing so well right now. And you could go into those matchups feeling a little bit less terrified than you are, but if, not to get too much into tactics, but I think you've got to field, you've got to field pace in the back, and you've got to make sure that Skirtle avoids it. So, I, <laughs> Moreno, if Moreno's fit, I think you have to, you need his pace uh, to be able to compete to Obama Yang, but also whether it's whether he's marking him or whether he's marking Roy, you need. I think Klein's a better matchup uh, for Royce, and I think. Um, given his defensive question marks, maybe I still think Moreno is, is going to be the one that you want to put out there because if you put Flanagan, this is not, not a time for the, the, the Flanagan Moreno debate, but we know there's still some question marks on Flanagan defensively in terms of his ability to keep up with the pace of, of wingers um, and how he gets beat off the dribble. And I think, I mean, we said this 13, 14, whenever he came on a feature that we were terrified, but I, I want to see Moreno at, at left back to be able to provide us with a, a little bit of cover and a little bit of pace yeah. to keep up with what's been a, a terrifying attack recently. Yeah. And I mean, the way Dortmund play, they get their fullbacks involved in the attack too. So mm-hmm. with, I, I would feel, I would feel pretty exposed with them potentially overloading Flanagan. Um, whereas Klein and Moreno, Moreno at least has the pace um, to yeah. keep up with that overlap and and kind of deny that a little more. Whereas Flanagan, certainly in a... I, I back him in, in any one-on-one um, to <laughs> take out that player and maybe get the ball. Um, yeah. But I think I think Moreno for for the question marks he he gives us a better opportunity against the likes of uh, well if he's playing you know if he's playing as he has been on the left then uh, he'll mm-hmm. have he'll have Eric Derm and Lucas Piszczek, um both both running at him at, at pace um, and you know Piszczek, one of the best right backs around so um, it's also, it's also kind not, of horrifying too to think about but yeah. <laughs> So a, it'll be. I really want to see Klein at at right back as well. Yeah. Time that any time that Klein has been shaky at all, it seems like if he's been at left back or if if he was kind of switched around in what I think the, the second leg versus United. Right. Where I can't remember. I think he featured a little bit of left back, but then he he struggled then after at right back as well too. So I think consistency is so important. So I think when you Klein at right. It, it's not a perfect fit with the way Moreno's been defensively, but I think he's definitely our best option. Um, but no, I, I mean, it's okay for us to be optimistic against Dortmund at the same time to to pee our pants a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, during this international break, there's obviously no shortage of rumors due to the fact that the press really has nothing to talk about. So one of the ones that's come out in the last, the last day or two is Daniel Sturridge supposedly subject of a inquiry from Paris Saint-Germain for 45 million pounds. So, um, 
we both think up front, we both think that this is ludicrous um, and that it's not actually true, I think. Um, but if it were 45 million, do you think buy or sell Daniel Sturridge? <laughs> For 45 million, given our track record, I don't care how much money we bring in, I, I would say no because I don't know who who we would spend it on. Right. Um, I mean, I just don't for 40, 45 million is a ridiculous, a ridiculous sum. Uh, I don't, maybe a handful of players in the world are worth that much. Um, even with today's prices, right? I think at 45 million, you have to seriously, seriously consider it sure. given his, given his injury concerns. I, I don't know. I still, I, we, I think we love Sturridge, and maybe that's yes. that that's kind of blinding us a little bit, and maybe we should take the money and run. But <laughs> one, I, I, I think it's I, I think it's completely fabricated. I don't think there's any truth behind it at all, uh, and I think they're just looking for for hits on the website. But oh, no, for I'll, sure. I'll say for for forty five million, yes, I'll sell Daniel Sturridge, given given the. The injury for twenty million, for twenty five, for thirty, even maybe I would say no because right. I think he's worth more to you featuring in the games that he does feature in. Um, but he's forty five is a hell of a lot of money, and that right. I mean that allows you. I don't know why Sturridge would make the move to PSG unless uh ebra's unless ebra's out but easy easy paycheck and a uh and yeah, a couple I mean, of titles no problem I and mean, Sturridge isn't hurting but yeah do you want do you leave for a french title or do you you know do you stay for to get into europe with liverpool i don't know i think that's that's a real question but <laughs> I, yeah yeah I, Personally, from Liverpool's perspective, I, th- I think at forty-five million, like you said, you got to you got to think about it at least. There's there's no you're not going to get many bids like that unless you are Liverpool and you every year you get a bid of fifty mil plus for one of your best players. Well, what do we do with it? What you know? Do right, we, and that's what I think. Benteke, Lallana, you know, it's different with Klopp now. Though. Now that's what I think. I think with Sturridge you'd have to right those wrongs of of yesteryear um and you'd have to line up his replacement immediately and um i think in in th- this year it would be easier uh than most to line up his replacement the problem being that his replacement is lighting the world on fire with with Dortmund um because i think it would be obvious an obvious kind of swap of of uh of Sturridge for Obama Yang. But yeah. you know, how much of that forty five million then is going is going straight to Dortmund mm-hmm. um for him. Uh but oh, it would it it would take a a player of that caliber um yeah lined up almost before I'm I'm cashing that check from PSG because I just really <laughs> uh I really don't think and I think, like you said, we love Sturridge, but I think a lot of people have come to resent him for the time that he spent out. Yeah. And uh, and for the time that he has spent out, people kind of take him for granted a little bit. 
um, mm. it, and don't appreciate just how good a striker he is. Um, and all it takes for me is watching Christian Benteke, you know, run around for 90 <laughs> minutes um, and have absolute no, absolutely no effect on the game. That's all it takes for me to remember, like, Dear God, where would we be without yeah. without Sturridge? So, I think if you're if you're thinking of selling them, you had better have a legitimate replacement lined up, and not like, oh, you know, uh, we're you know that kid in France who just scored that hat trick, like Usman <laughs> or whatever. Like we're gonna sign him up, and, and it's like no, like you need you would need a, a world class striker to replace him. Um, and you'd, you'd need to have that. It can't be the Alexis Sanchez uh, saga of, well, we thought we had him, but we didn't. Yeah, exactly. You know? So you, you got to have the replacement lined up. That's the only yeah, way. It, yeah. yeah, that's that's kind of the main driving factor should be. It, it, because even if Sturge says, I think we, we've gotten away with Firmino's form, we've gotten away from our, our need for another striker. Um, because I, I think we take Sturge for granted whenever he's injured but then whenever he's healthy it's kind of this notion that oh he's going to be healthy forever and then we go back to <laughs> square one once he gets injured yeah so we need we need something else up front and with Sturridge I think you could bring in you know not necessarily a world-class striker but if you get rid of Sturridge it you got to have and whether or not we can sign Obama I don't I don't know I, I see him going to Madrid or maybe him going to PSG, that seems like it would make more sense right. for them. But again, I think this story is completely bullshit, and maybe <laughs> yeah. it's floated. Maybe it's floated by by Sturridge's camp. Who knows? Because who who could blame? Honestly, who could blame Sturridge for for wanting not necessarily wanting to leave, but for maybe saying, "Well, yeah, if, if, if some offers are coming in, I'll look at it." Because he, sure. you know, for for all the talk that we just had about two great fan bases. You've still got such so many of them just giving abuse to players and oh, Twitter yeah. and with social media. It's so easy now, and it, it, it's unfair to the players too. I don't know why why anybody that is is famous would want to be on Twitter just because <laughs> even even with our modest five hundred followers, I get people on there that and and, and once you get <laughs> once you get to about that thousand or ten thousand mark. It's just why it is yeah. it worth the time to put up with it. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily fault him for uh, for entertaining other destinations. Yeah, I wrote uh, I wrote that little bit of uh, just frustration out on our website, our first written piece um, mm-hmm. on the website, just speaking about how our fan base frustrates the ever living shit out of me um, from from time to time. Um, just the absolute dumb shit that happens online and and otherwise um with the the stuff that went you down know, at Old Trafford not, uh... being a little a little over the line but um, <laughs> but yeah it's it's been uh it's it's been frustrating and i can't i can't imagine why like you said why players why players do it to themselves with with social media um you know Brutal. who are you engaging with but um but uh yeah, if if uh I don't know, I think I think uh well we've got let's see, we've got Dortmund after the Dortmund after the international break and uh 
and then hopefully the league mercifully comes to an end at some point. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think I think this might be a good spot. We can uh, take a short break and then transition into into some U.S. talk if if you're up for it. I don't I don't know if the the people are ready for uh, what's about to be unleashed. <laughs> I've been on, like onto U.S. soccer. It's I almost need to like, like take some deep breaths. Like you know breathing the, those exercise. old World War II videos where red Nazi Germany is spreading across Europe. <laughs> it's kind of like the complacency and, and capitalistic approach that we have to football. And and and, and actually not capital, almost like capitalism, capitalist-driven socialism. Socialism, and that doesn't yes. make any sense. Uh, Except in the world of U.S. soccer and MLS, uh, <laughs> any other any other round that that's just like an oxymoron completely. Right. But uh, no, I, I'm imagining that that U.S. mentality is spreading like Nazi Germany in World War II now to across the pond to Europe. So uh, yeah, yeah, definitely a lot for you to uh, to sink your teeth into after the break. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll take a quick break and uh, we will be back in just a second. Take a shit in your 
Those are the type of references you get when you crack open your third Tejas lager. Yeah, that's what I'm. Uh, I'm out of beer. The first, the first Tejas is Spider Man. The second is Venom, and the, the third, third is, is Carnage. Carnage. <laughs> oh man, that's quite the progression. And fourth is Sandman or something. I want to get um, Chip Goins likes a tweet. Well, we've got we got a good combination between your U.S. cohort, yeah, that that follows you, that follows the uh, the two red gringos a little bit closely, yep. In between our Liverpool fan base with El Paso Reds, I think uh, I think we get a good uh, good steady fan base. But I was just thinking about it the the bigger we get the the less I can curse at Martin Skirtle and, and, and our fellow fans, but you know, that's, that's the way it's down the road. Oh, the, I mean, I've, I've found through, you know, some of the other, uh, soccer podcasts I've listened to, um, that, uh, regardless of how big you get, you can still, you can still <laughs> abuse as many people as you want. People love it. I think that's actually key really is, is abusing people. So, not necessarily abusing, but so a slight slight ridicule yeah, and arguments are not, are a good way to build followers. Well, there has to be something, you know, something to chew on a little bit. There's got to be a little be, little bite a little to banter. it. A little banter. Yeah, people love banter. <laughs> I love it. We haven't said that for a while on any podcast, too. But uh, <laughs> I think we can get we can it's get into banter. the U.S. The U.S. banter. It's just the U.S. banter that we've got that we've got on deck. Yeah, I mean, you uh, you spoke you spoke before the break briefly about about this this creeping, ominous, you know, uh, existential threat to to world football that's creeping out of America. Um, you gotta but, say it in like an old timey radio voice. The U.S. soccer mentality slowly cutting across the Atlantic, hitting the shores of Europe. Uh, They're putting our way of life under threat. (laughs) They are. They are. Maybe not ours. Maybe I mean it's a part of our way of life. Oh man, uh, maybe we need to record an old timey like commercial. For the that, pro realm movement, that would be, we could get like a little. Mate, you too can old. join the pro realm movement. <laughs> if you if you eat your vegetables and drink your milk and listen to your mother, then I feel like this is a this is a, a serious project that we have to we have to undertake <laughs> no, to, we to have join to this it. propaganda battle. Dude, uh, we'll get. Well, uh, there's so much propaganda on on the one side. Um, oh yeah, that we got to even it out a little bit. It reminds me of this story I was reading. I can't remember who. Maybe even you. Maybe it was Townsend or somebody. Somebody posted it that normally does not. But it was about uh, in Eastern Europe this movement, and they call themselves like the Elves, and it's just this group of like pro-capitalism, like pro-democracy, more Western-leaning people that target. The socialists, not necessarily socialists, but Russia propaganda machines that they have uh-huh. that still to this day are trying to undermine 
you know, kind of progress capitalism and democracy in, right. in Eastern Europe. And so this group of people just take to message boards, they take to comment section on news sites and just completely blow away any of the, the kind of bull. Imagine like if Trump, like the same <laughs> kind of approach that to all of Trump's bullshit yeah. that but you know now it's actually like state sponsored and well, well I guess for us yeah. it, it could be, it could be <laughs> so, oh god help us yeah, all that's, that's what it, it it seems like that you get like you uh, I think Tan, or not Tan, Tanson just wrote a piece on Christ um, yeah. but you guys always write great and, and just have a really solid just fact based logical approach to what seems to be blind blind following uh and we, we do need it so i think the uh, uh, a lovely little youtube clip that we can get uh i think beard beard of pillow dj staley um in the air tonight has uh has something up his sleeve that he could assist be it, Photoshop, be it with photo editing whatever the uh well i mean we we talk about you know this this movement and it, it kind of gets it kinda, it kind of gets pushed to the side by the by the more the more mainstream uh, media outlets and and journalists out there because there there are a couple you know fringe members of of the pro world movement that maybe take it a little far but um, but one thing that that definitely has been happening um, and and is um, being discussed more so recently is uh, is the idea of a of a breakaway European Super League, um, and you know more or less what's been discussed is you know the top teams um, competing in a competition without um, basically without their domestic competitions and and abandoning that for a closed league that guarantees their participation year in and year out and uh and only the big clubs take part basically as a i mean it's essentially a money grab there's no there's no other way to describe it um but the uh the way that the way that these discussions have gone on they've they've talked about you know these secret meetings between um members of of the top premier league clubs and uh and others um and it's it's been it's been interesting to see the the reaction worldwide to it so first off just to get your just to get your your thoughts um you know does the european super league offer anything that that world football doesn't doesn't already offer no (laughs) yes kind of or no because even in some of the articles uh who who's the main guy that just came out the u.s guy uh charlie stilatano yeah even he he was comparing uh i think the european super league to the international cup which is a series of friendlies Right, and that—that's ultimately what <laughs> what it would turn into is a glorified friendly. Yeah, His, because there's uh, nothing there's nothing that exists like the Champions League really in the world. The closest that comes to it would maybe be the Olympics, I would say. Right, and, but to to 
take I no no it's it's not offering us anything new it's it's just kind of lessening or or watering down um what's one of the most historic and biggest sporting events in the world it would be like europe trying to influence the super bowl right and i i just yeah watching watching all this take place i think i think the reaction has been correct um it's been it's been hilarious to watch but the reaction from from fans has been supremely negative um Mm -hmm. and those are fans you know living in england germany spain you know they've all voiced their opinions and said um that a european super league is is a is a ludicrous idea like the the closed um the idea of a of a closed league um Mm -hmm. that protects the um Madrid's and and PSG's and Milan's and um yeah. you know etc um well and the you know Liverpool's Manchester United's Arsenal's they yeah. they all fall into that category as well um so the uh the thing that's been funny to me has been the reaction of people based in the United States to the idea of a European Super League, and it's been also supremely <laughs> negative, which is hilarious because of the level of the level of delusion and hypocrisy required to convince yourself that Europe is in need of a of an openers competition. And uh, mean t- <laughs> meanwhile, You're we not. are operating in a system that's that's closed and doesn't foster any competition. Um, and it's it, it it there's really no no reaction than to than to sit back and laugh because um, if people in the United States and and this includes uh, journalists and fans supporters, um, you know whoever uh you asked about it uh, i can i can almost guarantee if you went if you went to an mls match you could ask people if you know if if they um if they wanted to institute this european super league would it be a good idea you'd get resounding answers of no not them not grasping the irony of of them sitting watching a a match that's taking place in an anti-competitive you know closed system that protects um, owners and ownership groups more than it promotes competition. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, you have in Europe, this, the owners look at the United States and it's a paradise. It is oh, yeah. an owner's utopia, um, because you have multiple things that, that, strictly support owners but the franchise system um being one of them where you know you pay a fee and you get to operate a team and then you operate within a salary capped environment where you're you're only going to spend this amount of money and no one can outspend you um because it's against the rules and then you you have the idea of um revenue sharing and 
you know, the teams that make the most money have to pay the teams that make the least. And, and then at the end of it all, you have, uh, you have publicly financed stadiums. Like <laughs> an owner would be out of his mind. You know, the owner of Bournemouth, is sitting back like, man, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> I got to get in on this because I am sinking money to get to the Premier League and keep my club Done. afloat and keep them competitive when I could just be getting paid <laughs> in the Liverpool United States. Float, didn't Liverpool, uh, Henry and others float the idea of the Anfield yeah. expansions being being publicly funded as well, which has always been, I think, any any true any sports fan has always loathed that notion since it first began yeah i don't know if it was the nfl whether whether it was major league baseball but that is such <laughs> such just so so backwards yeah. that you have millionaires owning sports teams having fans pay for stadiums it it's beyond yeah. Well, so I think what's what's really what's what's really crazy about what American sports owners have been able to pull off is they have incepted the United States of America into thinking that without them, without those franchises, without this league, mm-hmm. cities will die. Cities will cease to make money. Cities will be unproductive. They'll, their growth will just stop dead in its tracks. Mm-hmm. Any, any potential investment would just go out the window. And, uh, and so we've gotten to a point as American sports fans where we look at ticket prices and we look at um, owners relocating and we look at owners publicly financing their stadiums and we somehow as americans feel bad for the billionaire rather than (laughs) for ourselves like we've gotten to a point where we don't even pity the sports fan who has to pay three hundred dollars to sit in the upper deck of a bulls game like we we've gotten to the point where we say, oh well, you know, Jerry's just protecting his investment, yeah. you know, which like, it's it's unbelievable because yeah. I think I don't think we fully appreciate or we can't fully appreciate the uh, like the walkout over ticket prices. We understand it, but as American fans, we've been just gouged yeah. when it comes to sporting events. Like I pay. Maybe not Chihuahua, but I, like a Chihuahuas game, like you know, twenty bucks. That's what a, a Dortmund fan would go to play to see, like a regular season game. It's yeah. un, it's unbelievable. Uh, but but it makes sense. It makes sense too that, yeah. And it doesn't make any sense for an American owner to charge taxpayers for the stadium and then right. to charge fans fifty, a hundred, two hundred dollars or more. I don't know the city of El Paso charging me to charging me rent on on a mortgage that i also have i guess i mean property tax so you know i'll, I'll shut up about that they, they, every, they get you double, everything's yeah. backwards everything's backwards everything, yeah. is, <laughs> everything is awful uh, so yeah so why we would want to why football it's clear football fans don't but 
but and it's clear why ownership would. But why common sense and decency and and basic basic human rights? We would want to go against all of that and, and spread it to Europe is beyond me. Good people around. Um, so a lot of it's going to be on ownership too. Like if ownership makes a decision to form a super league, those are the clubs that you're going to have. But if ownership's going to listen to the fans, then you have the opportunity to to halt it in its tracks. And I think the Liverpool fans, like I said, all there's plenty of clubs across across England and across Europe that that do it. But I think the most recent ones by Liverpool really showed that fans can immediately stand up for something that they believe in. Um, and that would really be the, that's the only thing stopping something like that because, like you said, it's like a, it's guaranteed money where you, you you buy into it, you get everybody to buy into it. And if you're AC Milan, if you're even if you're Liverpool, I mean, and you don't have to work as hard, then you're you're you know you're in. But what that that goes against everything that we love about sports is the notion of competition and and kind of the fairness and equity that it can provide and that's Leicester doing what it's doing this season is is really making making the case not just for ProRail but also to to tr- provide some some ammunition against any type of European Super League that would exist um, but maybe on the same end it's also the reason why <laughs> the the opinions coming up in the first place is that you've got Leicester and Tottenham as the the top two sing, seeds in the Premier League, uh, and so that the only time I've ever heard fans in support of a Super League has been Chelsea this year and United <laughs> the past two years. Yeah, and that's all the evidence you need for exactly why you don't want a European Super League exactly. because those are two of the worst fan bases that exist. <laughs> They're two of the most spoiled. And the fans that exist for both of those, more so with Chelsea, only exist because of success. Yes. Liverpool fans, Tottenham fans, God, Leicester fans, the the true Leicester fans, have you have to put up with so much, and it's a constant fight, it's a constant battle, and exists at so many different levels. With just because of pro rel, but then also because of the Champions League, the Europa League spaces that you're right. constantly, no matter what position you're at in the table, you're going to be fighting for something. And that, it, it's hugely damning to to try to change, on the top end of it, um, a structure that works so well and that billions, literally billions of people buy into and yeah. love because of it. Yeah, I think... I think what you said is is spot on and it's it's something that's all too all too familiar um in American sports where um teams for years decades are completely worthless um and their fan their fans suffer as a result and they okay. you know a lot of one of the criticisms of of promotion and relegation is, you know, when you have an open system, sometimes uh, clubs, you know, rise to prominence, but then, you know, kind of fall dramatically Leeds and Blackpool and Bolton have been like brought up um, as examples of that. But the bottom line is that all of those teams had the same opportunity to succeed. Um, exactly. And the fact that they've, that they've mismanaged that is, is on them. It's not on anyone else. Um, Whereas, you know, we have like Philadelphia, 
they've been saddled with the 76ers for being just completely garbage for for how long and and they talk about you know it got to the point where the rest of the owners were saying you know like uh, we're saying to the commissioner, you know, you got to do something about Philly. And he's like, well, I talked to him, but this is how they're rebuilding. And, the, you know, this is <laughs> technically nothing they're doing is illegal yeah. or against the rules. So, I mean, imagine Philadelphia, you know, the 76ers in an open system. They'd be League One, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, they're at League the Two. They're they at, they're they might at the dissolve. Like and who knows? And for yeah, and for good reason because their ownership is trash and doesn't care about competition and doesn't care about about the fans or the supporters. So it's, I mean, for me, it's um, like a lot of people point to Blackpool and it's like, well, they made it to the Premier League and then now their fans are suffering because of mismanagement or whatever. But it's like you could say the same for Portsmouth and um, or Wimbledon, um, where you know Wimbledon yeah. had their team moved <laughs> away from them, um, which is a very common and uh, you know an all too common occurrence in American sports. Um, and uh, those fan bases, Portsmouth and Wimbledon, have both built fan owned clubs in in their place and started at the very bottom and you know they're both in league two now but portsmouth are pushing for promotion and and they're in a you know in a fan-owned fan-owned model so there's i mean basically the the opportunity is is only limited by by what you're willing to to put into it so um so i think that's all it takes i mean people will point to portsmouth and say oh you know this club was in europe and then they were mismanaged and now the fans suffer but really the fans got to take control of their club and and got to to run it the right way now and and run it in a in a sustainable way and even uh, even liverpool again (laughs) you as a fan liverpool again has shown you you have control you can stop that immediately and maybe it had to take some clubs failing for fans to realize that but Liverpool saw poor management and they they immediately they immediately acted and it's not it, it's not a special circumstance if you, you could be any club in that situation or actually that's not true I don't think you could be maybe United but definitely more so like a Chelsea maybe like a City you don't have this, Liverpool is arguably, in terms of the fan base, almost just as big as as Chelsea, as probably even definitely bigger than City. But if you look at like maybe just random fans, I think Twitter accounts are a good a good sure. kind of gauge Metric, for yeah. oh yeah, and that the fact that maybe Chelsea has six million followers, right? And Liverpool has like five, so it's comparable. But what you can't compare is the long kind of seeded passion that exists for Liverpool and most of the clubs in Europe have some of that so if you are a fan base you can actually stop that you have you have power to and maybe the Newcastle argument goes against this but you if you keep pushing if you keep fighting you can actually change ownership you can take it you can take it to courts you can force owners out and have them lose millions because they didn't manage it properly. Um, and maybe it's harsh and maybe it's just 
cold-blooded to say it, but, you know, if the fans didn't stand up to do it, then maybe they deserve to be knocked down a, a tier or two so that they can build themselves back up. But that's that's the beauty of a, uh, of an open system is that you have the ability, you're, you're going to have the success stories, um, but you're also going to have some stories of failure too, and that, that ultimately is is fair, and that that's equity, right? The notion that anybody can succeed, but also the notion that anybody can fail. So speaking of success stories, obviously, like we, we said before, the the Lester story is is one that has grabbed headlines and rightfully so all over the world just, because just a, few, just a few headlines, just a couple. Yeah, yeah you know, um, the back page every once in a while. But uh, Lester, I mean, it's it's been an incredible run. And, and regardless of whether it ends up with them actually winning the title or not, the fact that they're clear by five points with seven matches to go is absolutely incredible for a team of their stature um and without the spending that you you've seen from you know what would have been considered smaller clubs you know city like man city obviously um yeah being one of them where um where you know it's a small club taken over this is this isn't really that this is a, a team spending within its means and going from relegation candidates to champions potentially. Um, so the story obviously for good reason has, uh, has attracted a lot of attention and in the most recent sports illustrated, it attracted the attention of, of one grant wall um, who decided to write a feature on it. And uh, I couldn't help but comment during this episode on on that because Grant Wall obviously most of <laughs> the bulk of his reporting is done on MLS, um, but in his article, and I have to I have to point this out because it just struck me as so fucked up that he would even like have to write this as a soccer reporter like so he he wrote he wrote. Uh, you know the story. He's talking about the story of Lester and how it's so incredible, and there hasn't been a story like it in sports for so long. And he, to try and connect with the Sports Illustrated readership, he wrote, "Imagine a Double A baseball team earning the right to compete in the majors and being on the brink of winning the World Series." And I thought to myself, like, yeah, like. Imagine a system that was set up where you could go from league to league based on sporting merit and you could actually win your way into the top league and compete for the title. Like, what a novel idea. It's crazy. (laughs) It's only done in like 200 countries on earth. Like, Like. Give me a break. Who is writing this shit? I just, I couldn't believe it when he actually decided to lay it out in those terms. Because I think what's really funny is the amount of Americans who have been exposed to promotion and relegation now is not small. No. It's, this is not a fringe, like, thing. This is not, people are, more people are watching the Premier League um, on, on Saturday and Sunday mornings than are watching MLS by, like, the hundreds of thousands. Mm-hmm. Um, but more people, I mean, the premier league is the only thing that even comes close to the numbers of people that watch, that watch, uh, the, the Mexican league in America. 
Um, it's the only thing that like borderline competes. But even the Mexican League has promotion and relegation. So I think it's safe to say that most of the people <laughs> reading Sports Illustrated know what promotion and relegation is. They don't need a fake baseball analogy <laughs> to, to understand the notion. Um, that was so 13-14. Oh, man, that is... <laughs> It, I mean, it's it, and it's just it's funny because it encapsulated so many things about American soccer media that a lot of people are growing really, really tired of, myself included. And that and the one of them is the treatment of of the soccer watching or soccer interested public um, as if they can't grasp what's going on. Um, like the American soccer fan just doesn't really get European soccer. Um, like I, I, it's like writing soccer articles in like 1998 where it was like, um, you know, Ronaldo plays for Brazil. Uh, and also, you know, you can't touch the ball with your hands during the game. Like <laughs> that was, I hit when NBC sports is here, whose coverage has been phenomenal. I think yes. the first two seasons too. I was going to go down a different. I'm not going to go down that road. But they posted a, I think it was this year, a video about like just rudiment, just fundamentals, like the offside rule and things like that. And yeah. I was like, you guys have done such a good job. And I think it was John that that wrote or, or went on a Twitter and wrote something about, and it was amazing. It was perfect about MLS kind of gearing themselves more towards the average fan. And NBC Sports immediately identified the, the the knowledgeable U.S. soccer football fans, whatever you want to call it, and, and created their approach based on the fact that they were delivering this access and this content to knowledgeable people. And then this year they come out with right. the offside rule. I'm like, come on, <laughs> like don't don't insult, don't water down, like right. don't uh, just completely go against the approach that you guys took that made you successful. Don't Kyle Martino your, your approach. <laughs> I had, I mean, I had, you I were going to go I, down that road eventually. Couldn't you couldn't, you couldn't, couldn't avoid it. There was, it was and also, also because I mentioned, and I, I can't help myself, the fact that he didn't bang his nanny is not <laughs> because he's a good person. It's because I think the nanny was a little bit bigger and Kyle Martino is not a big person. So I think he, it was only, it, it was only, he's not a good person. He's right. a horrible given, person. given a different opportunity. Yeah. I'm he, saying he would have, he wouldn't I'm have. Saying Kmart definitely bangs a hottie <laughs> nanny. Cause he's a horrible person. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, he's not, that's the implication the tier, on the tier of us pundits. He's, you know, I've got him above most of those associated with Fox soccer. Definitely. <laughs> he's above Ramos for sure. He, he's kind of like a rich man's Stu Holden. Okay. And Stu Holden's the poor man's Kyle Martino. <laughs> but that, uh, I, I mean, they both kind of fall into the same category because both had their, uh, both had um, injuries that forced them into retirement kind of ahead of their, ahead of their time. So, and both have I'll, I'll give it to Kyle Martina I uh, mostly I just hate his hair 
in his smug face, but yes. I'm just kind of jealous of it. But uh, no, it mostly, but with Stu Holden, it's just, it's like a 12 year old sitting behind that desk. <laughs> it's absolutely brutal. Like Martino's not bad. I think, you know, most of the time he's an idiot. I um, I hate that Kyle Martino, he loves Adam Lana. So there are so many times in the pregame of a Liverpool game where I just want to strangle him to death. <laughs> Adam, I think Adam Lallana would do very well in the MLS. Yeah, he's he's like Graham Zusi on fucking steroids because he could actually accidentally assist sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad. I don't. I don't know why. I maybe it's because he wears double Windsor knots. But I don't know why I've got a, a hatred for Kyle Martino. But yeah, I mean, because at least you know, if you insult him on Twitter, he'll favor it or he'll he'll say something goofy back. So, you know, <laughs> and you would know because you've insulted him multiple times. <laughs> because I've heard a lot of insults his way, and most of the time, he'll send you a favorite, which I appreciate. Um, <laughs> but I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. But no, yeah, I, I, it's I completely derailed the. Uh, no, but I think – so I think talking about those guys, it, it, it brings in more so the discussion because the bottom line is that all of these guys in who are who are now the face of, of American soccer media, and, and sadly that face includes the face of Grant Wall. Um, <laughs> That's not a face you want associated with anything. No. He does, you don't want him to be your poster child for shit. Like um, that would be like – a company going out of their way to hire Ted Cruz for like a poster ad, <laughs> like Got Milk. No, Ted Cruz's creepy smile. Yeah, same for Green Wall. So, but we've got we've got the likes of Grant Wall, um, Alexi Lawless. Uh, I mean, Winald is pretty good. I mean, for the most part, but. The thing is, is that all these guys who are the face of of American soccer media, um, they they all have to cover MLS, obviously, because that's that's what's going on in American soccer. Um, you know, that's our like it or not, that's our top division. But they they are so hypocritical in the way that they approach. Well, not Lawless, because Lawless is just shamelessly, like, doesn't give a shit. Um, but the fact that, you know, we sit and we say, oh, what a great story that, you know, Lester is. And, and you know, how amazing is it that they can rise to the divisions and, and, you know, compete for a title. And then they turn around and they're like, okay, like, let's look ahead to the Philadelphia Union versus Colorado Rapids. Um, that no one gives a shit about because it's a regular season game that, like, have more than half the teams make the playoffs. Like, oh, what a great story! The Colorado Rapids go from being complete dog shit to signing Tim Howard for two point eight mil a season, um, and remaining yeah, I was dog surprised shit. by that wage, <laughs> the Howard wage. Oh, it, well, that's just—I mean, if that signing doesn't emphasize that MLS just is not about wins at all and is yeah. all about names and just maybe getting some people to come to the stadium. <laughs> um, 
Timmy Howard could put that, some, some butts in the seat. Two point two point eight mil a year. He makes more. About, he makes more than all of the starting keepers in MLS combined. <laughs> <laughs> and he is not. And he will win them always, zero games. Oh yeah, he oh, will yeah. win them zero points. Had a good fall. I like I like Howard. I like Howard. I like. I even don't mind when he's commentating because <sighs> I I do not enjoy him not as a, a commentator. I, so I, would say, I don't enjoy it because to me he well he's a step above Casey Keller. I'll say that. Oh god, <laughs> Casey Keller. Casey Keller is is a rough listen. I um, I was so I was thinking like. Howard, I can because he's, and a lot of them played. But think about the the level for the NFL. If you want to be like a, a commentator for the NFL, you have to be not just a, a TV personality, but you have to be have been a great NFL player, right? Yeah. Because even what uh, Dan Marino is on there arguably one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. The one fault he doesn't win a, 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 a Super Bowl, right? Yeah. No Charles rings. Barkley commentating on the <laughs> NBA gets it all the time because he never won uh, yeah. the champion, you know, the NBA championship. And here you have in terms of us quality, <laughs> kind of good to mediocre us players. Right. So kind of, it would be like the the D League, an NBA D League player commentating and giving his opinions on the ongoings of of the NBA. It just wouldn't it wouldn't fly at all because there's this level that we expect that if you want to comment commentate or criticize or ridicule, just like we do, right? Like it, it's different when it comes from non-players if it comes from people that are just questioning tactics and all that and if you kyle martino lexi lost all that could could very well have a lot of tactical knowledge but if you're an ex-player you have to be a certain quality if you want to say you know i thought alexis sanchez or i thought messi underperformed today because you're not even coming close to you as a player level of quality so there's this there's this notion that you can't, at least for every other sport that exists, in whether it's Major League Baseball, NBA, anything, you have to be like a great player before you can be a commentator. And as U.S. fans, we see these mediocre U.S. players commenting on the best football players in the world, and it's kind of like, uh, should you really be the one saying that, you know, commenting on the performance of, you know, Sturridge or anybody else and, and all that too. So I think that definitely factors into maybe the, I think it's more resent, not hatred. Hatred's too strong. Maybe not for Alexi Lawless, but for most of them, there's this resentment that, you know, you, you aren't at the level where you can successfully (laughs) commentate (laughs) or successfully analyze the performance of top players because you never were that. So it, 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 it's bizarre that we have other sports where we're help holding them to that standard. Um, but we just don't have, we don't have the players. We don't have the quality no. of players over our history. No, I mean, we have, and I mean, if you ever put Landon Donovan in front of a camera, it's. <laughs> and he, like he's one of, 
he's one of the he performed well in the Premier League that we've seen, right? That we that we were able to witness. So it's like, okay, maybe you can comment. And on... he was just like okay in the Premier League. <laughs> like he was pretty good on loan two mm-hmm. seasons at Everton. Like Dempsey too, but right. Landon Donovan, he's oh Dempsey might be never going to be able to be on TV. Like, yeah, I can't let's... imagine the Texas. <laughs> The, the backward Texas boy. <laughs> he just starts <laughs> rapping during a game. Like <laughs> he can't help uh, himself. Yeah, I kind of want to see it now. No, but, but yeah, Donovan's worse than Stu Holt. But it is. I, and I think I think the level of media, like the level of quality and experience that we expect from our soccer media in the U.S. is low. Like I don't think we have an expectation. Um, and you know some of it is not all on it's not all on the individual journalists and stuff because bottom you know end of the day they get paid to write certain shit and they um and they uh they may in some cases for a lot of papers they're writing they're writing for soccer you know they're writing on soccer um as a as a like side job that they're like barely getting paid for um but the the coverage is just downright like hypocritical because SI is cashing in on this story that and no one's asking the question well no one in in mainstream media is asking the question of okay if this is what is getting readers to a magazine or to a website if this is what's getting people engaged and and clicking to read a story then why are we not asking the question of our federation or you know of our uh, owners and executives? Like why are we not pushing this um, this issue of promotion and relegation? Because it just it, you can't sit and write about what a great sports story it is and then turn around and say, well, I mean, except for like. New York Cosmos or whoever, you know, they don't really deserve a shot like that. Um, it's just, it just, it's so hypocritical to, to try to capitalize on, on the success of a, of a story abroad and not also turn around and ask the question of why not here? Because it's not happening here in the U S I think, I think that's where it really starts to fall apart because it's, it's one thing to say, um, Oh, the I mean, all the common arguments are they're so played out and ridiculous. Like I can't even um, say them out loud and not hate myself. But um, but all the arguments against it uh, are well documented. Um, but then you have those same journalists turn around and, and, and capitalize on a story abroad. So it, it's just, it's that level of, of, uh, hypocrisy and, and just the, the willingness to, you know, enjoy, enjoy something that's happening, you know, from afar, but, but not, but not, uh, want to see it implemented here and, and not give clubs in the U S opportunities like that. That's, that's really where it, where it all falls apart for me and and i think if a 
a journalist in in today's world which is certainly you know like we live in a global society we we have instant access to all types of all types of sports at our fingertips um you know at any given moment you can be watching you know any number of of soccer competitions um so I think it's super. I think I think it's hypocritical and and ultimately like dishonest for a journalist to, um, to cover a story like that and then act like it doesn't have any impact or have any um, application in the United States because I mean it's this isn't, um, you know this isn't the fifties or sixties. It's not. You know, you won't believe what they're doing over in, you know, like whatever. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's not like that. We live, we can, we live in a, the, uh, we can do, we can do any of that. So it's just, I mean, it's, it's, uh, that's uh, just the level that we that we expect from the journalists. Like Grant Wall can record a video joking about promotion or relegation with with MLS uh coaches and uh players and stuff where he said like oh you know never going to happen kind of thing ha 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 and then write a story and and beg for clicks on it on his Twitter um that wouldn't have been possible without promotion and relegation you know we have Lester Lester started uh when they were initially admitted to the to the football league back in back in the late 1800s they uh they were in the second division um so without you know without the implementation of 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 pro rel then lester's stuck in the nasl and mm-hmm. uh and you know asking the question of when when will we get our turn yeah. so it's uh i think it's i think it's just crazy that we we sit and talk about how great a story lester is and then and then turn around and are like oh well maybe someday um you know in the united states and that's that oh, what was it? It, the fact that uh i don't know it was this uh the quote from the big short the movie i just saw uh, great movie, but he's like, tell me the difference between like stupid and corrupt, and I'll have my brother-in-law arrested or something like that. But it's not necessarily corruption, but it's just kind of the hypocrisy and greed that exists too. And it, it's so easy to confuse. You don't know whether it's blatantly done or if they're just that clueless <laughs> about, <laughs> about the different approaches that they take. And I, I love the. Uh, the one where I put the Obama, you know, like you just did a hot wing or something, or wiping off the sweat for your, uh, <laughs> for your imagine the, the same 64 teams were in the uh, NCAA tournament every year too. And that, I mean, that's, uh, as American fans, that's all, that's all the analogy you need to, not necessarily pro rel, but also for an argument against the uh, uh, European Super League too, is it just, I mean, people love underdogs, you know. They don't always get the ratings, but they're better stories. Uh, and so I don't know why anybody would want to change that, too, unless yeah. they just are completely clueless, which <laughs> is, is what we, we may be dealing with. Well, in, in this case, I mean, it's like like this year's Premier League. You have basic basically um, from the top teams, they got complacent. Um, more or less, or weren't able to put a cohesive team together, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. But, um, 
you know, imagine this being a, um, in a in a closed system. This Premier League season would be novel, but ultimately it would be okay. Like, you know, they had a they had an off year. You know, Manchester United, might, you know, may not make the Champions. You know, won't make the Champions League, and West Ham might make it in. Whatever. Um, but I mean, this is this season actually has like. It's not just, um, you know, like, I mean, if you if you put it in a in real American terms, you would say like, you know, Premier League. Uh, if the top, you know, if the top ten or twelve teams were making the playoffs, you know, yeah. you Liverpool sitting sitting, you know, eleventh or or tenth or, or whatever, you're like, or, you know, wherever we were like at Christmas, you're like not even worried. You're like, yeah, in the run yeah. in, we'll grab some points and we'll we'll finish in the playoff spots and it won't be yeah. won't be an issue. Um, and uh, you know what actually happened is after after eight games liverpool is in crisis mode panic mode fire the manager hire someone new um you know and and try to build something and try to get something out of the season um and and then also you know build long term whereas uh you know there's just there's just not that pressure um to compete and there's just not that um not that ability to you know because even this season like us you know city like if they were in the top three they'd be like oh yeah successful season like we didn't even ever really hit you know a hundred percent and we kind of coasted but you know at least we still made the playoffs whatever um and this season you know i mean it's yeah it's lame duck because of pep or whatever but um but this season is being seen as a disaster by city's fans. Um, they, they've been overtaken by, you know, Tottenham and Leicester. Um, they now have to fight for, you know, to stay in the top four. Um, Cause they're getting chased by West Ham and um, Arsenal, you know, could climb above them. It's just like all this stuff that that's gone on has been, you know, has challenged the big clubs to, take a look at themselves and you know you have arsenal fans who arsenal is like tipped for the title and they were going to do it and now you know arson's you know fucked up again and is gonna it's just arsenal being arsenal right there but but that's the thing is like now they're talking about firing a guy who's been at the club for 20 seasons and yeah he's gotten them success but he hasn't you know he hasn't won a title in a long time so now you're and that makes that that fire that firing kind of makes sense to me either way like yeah. unless you're somebody that's you know like for your something that's winning year after year then yeah. you know you never you never want them to leave but for for winger you know it could be it could be time to part ways have him go manage monaco or something yeah um just i mean that 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 kind of makes sense for arsenal but that it just goes to show i think because i'm wondering too are we the more we kind of go against the U.S., the more we kind of advocate for pro-rel, the more we buy into European and British football and their approach, I almost find myself, even with like Liverpool and the management and ownership and all that, I almost find myself crediting the money approach, like Chelsea, like PSG, like City, and, and almost find myself making arguments for that, and that almost seems 
horrible and not something I would ever want to do. But what I realize now, it's not it, it's not that big money approach. What's changing and what's having an impact on it is all the Premier League clubs having access to ridiculous amounts of funding. Yep. And what it becomes now is that you could be City, you could be Chelsea, you could spend $35 million on Fabregas, but it's not going to have an impact, the same impact that it would for Leicester now having 50 to 70 million to spend rather than 10 or 20. Because if they make three or four smart buys, which they did, then you've got an actual shot. And before this year, we never, we never would have even considered that. But the plight of Chelsea um, and the rise of Leicester coinciding in one season, <clears throat> and it could go back to normal last year. But it shows, and even to some degree, the success of Watford, who many thought would be relegated. Yeah. Is showing clubs that there there's so much to fight for in the existing Premier League and European system that it'd be suicidal to change it, um, and it'd be negligent on the part for somebody to have a system opposite of it and not want to apply that. So it should be going. It's going in reverse. <laughs> the right. U.S. clubs, not necessarily the owners, would want to obviously, like we discussed, but U.S. people should want to adopt what exists in Europe because it makes so much sense. And even in years past, we've said that the NBA NFL needs something in place like that to adopt. And I'm not saying they need to, but for soccer, you need, you, you do need a system like that. But instead we have the American kind of influence, why we're able to influence the sport of football. I have no idea, but (laughs) American influence and and it's all money at the end of the day. It's all money. Um, and, and that, as we've seen, hurts hurts the average hurts the average person, hurts the average fan, hurts hurts the real fans too. Yeah, and I mean, it shuts the the way we've set things up. It just it shuts communities and and regions out of the sport. Um, it shuts them out of of the professional game. Where in yeah. in England, you have communities that would never have a shot at having a top tier professional team. Um, you know, if you went strictly off of market size, uh, you know, you'd have two Manchester teams, two Liverpool teams, Leeds, the two Birmingham clubs, probably two or three London teams. And that would be it. You'd have Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham done. Like, There'd be no West Ham Cinderella story. There'd be no Olympic Stadium for West Ham. There'd be no, there'd be no Watford. There'd be no Crystal Palace. There, I mean, none of those teams would get a shot. Yeah. Southampton, Portsmouth would be fringe, maybe. Um, but it's, I mean, all of these communities that currently are getting shut out, and I mean, one that we're really familiar with, obviously, El Paso. Um, recently in a study named the eighth largest mm-hmm. soccer market in the uh in the united states but doesn't surprise us at all per- but you can imagine no. people look at that list like like where where's el paso, el paso. <laughs> <laughs> what is el paso but but uh yeah to us i mean we see we see the potential there and we see see the fact that there are communities now handed professional or you know top tier uh soccer teams that are proving to not be you know quote unquote soccer markets when we know you know if they got the stadium right 
people would flock to a, a professional team in El Paso. Um, oh, yeah. But because it, you know, things are, are done on a, um, you know, market share and focus groups, like that's how we decide who deserves a, who deserves a, um, a professional team. Um, since it's done that way, a, t- a, a town like El Paso is never, never getting a shot, despite the fact that, you know, all the, all the common sense says that that would produce a, you know, a top team, um, with the right owners and the right, uh, and the right infrastructure, you could, you could really have something special. Um, but instead we get, you know, we get teams in, in like these ridiculous places, um, that prove, you know, and, and cities that have done nothing to prove that they deserve it, get, get second teams. And, um, and I think that's, that's a running theme too, is that smart, smart, beats in 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 a fair and an open system smart is going to beat money and smart is definitely going to beat a a, a cookie cutter approach as well and i think what holds true for quality of play also holds true in the business world as well but then again i don't have a hundred million dollars to (laughs) find an mls so maybe i have no clue what i'm talking about yeah well and and that's i mean and that's what this all this all boils down to is you know we have one one system that we have here in the US that it it protects the owners um and like we talked about earlier the the american fan has has been complicit in protecting the owners and protecting the interests of of american sports owners at their own cost um and uh, we have a system in in Europe, and uh, that it puts owners in a, in a vulnerable position um, where their investment isn't protected. There's no there's you know there's parachute payments if you get relegated, but there's no safety net. Um, yeah. There's no there's no parachute payments for a team that that makes the Champions League one year and doesn't make it the next. Uh, <laughs> you know the Liverpools of the world. Um, you don't get any. You don't get any. You know, credit for trying. Um, you win or die. Like that is that is the bottom line. Like you compete or you don't. Um, and uh, and so the the ones who are rewarded in that system are the people, the actual. Um, I would say the actual stakeholders who, which are the players and and the fans. Um, and and those are the people who who ultimately are rewarded because the players who deserve to be at a certain level will stay there, and and players who don't <laughs> won't, and uh, and then communities that support their team have a better chance of of having a team that competes, and and the communities that don't support their team they they lose their team often. So it's I mean it. It, it's merit based completely and it just yeah, yeah i mean it, it's an open market but what we've done in the u.s is we've reached that like the top the very the very top of capitalism the the peak of capitalism is is eliminating capitalism um yeah you know it, once you if you're a capitalist who has eliminated his competition then you've achieved you know the the very peak of capitalism but it, it's no longer an open market and it's no longer so that's that's what we've done in american sports is we just we've made it so 
all of these owners are operating in a in a vacuum more or less and and they there's no competition to to their investment or to their place so um so you have <laughs> no incentive to continue to compete um you've already eliminated that so i i think it's just once <laughs> once american fans realize that billionaires don't deserve um any sympathy or uh protection for investing money in an entertainment business um then i think we can start taking steps towards putting something together which actually benefits fans and not and not the the owners who you know use taxpayer dollars and uh, municipal funds to <laughs> to line their pockets along with you know um gouging gouging fans for for ticket prices on top of the taxes they pay so uh you know it's once we realize that they don't they nothing they've done deserves deserves our uh you know undying loyalty or praise um the better off we'll be um and that is about <laughs> that is, it, it's a little sad too but that's about is as good as you can sum up the approach to and i think just saying that they if you can, you got to understand it from they created. Maybe they didn't create it, but they have helped shape the the MLS. And if you, at this point, if you spent a hundred million dollars to buy into something, you've bought into this notion that you're always going to be there. And it's, for our perspective, it's a little it's a little disheartening and a little depressing because I don't I can't see it ever changing. To be honest, I don't think it will. And the longer that it goes on, the harder it is to to kind of advocate for the NSAL or other smaller leagues to say that they've got the same seat at the table. Um, because what MLS has been around for, what, 20 years or something now? Yeah. And, and you do start to begin to have more like LA Galaxies and not necessarily dynasties, but clubs with tradition. And if you have that at the top flight level, it's going to be harder to say, you know, um, the Chicago Sting or whatever that just that that's coming out, or you know, or or Borealis or whatever has the same right to compete in the MLS as these clubs that have been doing it for twenty. And if we're looking down the road for thirty years, it, the longer that it goes on, it's going to be tougher too. Um, and that and that's just going to be damaging to the MLS. In, in general and ultimately damaging to their investment because as, as you and as John has said before too, if they can't get real, not real, I won't say that we're the real thing, you know, that's kind of putting us on a pedestal, but passionate, intelligent fans that truly love the game for all the right reasons, then it's, it, it's never going to be a, the league that they want it to be. Right. No matter how much kind of faux money they put or real money they put into it. Yeah, I think uh I think it's just it's just down to the it's down to the US Soccer Federation at some point separating itself from from MLS cuz right now they're they're just tied together. Yeah. Um and and until there's a separation and then the, you know, demand put on MLS to um to abide by what we've uh 
what what yeah. FIFA has put out as far as you know laws of the game and stuff. Um, without well, without an enforcement of that, then then MLS will they won't ever have to abide it, it, it on, yeah. until it's actually called into question. Then then there well, will we be no pressure to. Do we don't, it. we don't have to follow the MLS. You know, maybe we we don't have to be the ones that they target. Maybe they can be. You know, at the end of the day, maybe they can make money without without fans like us. And maybe that's true, but it's still going to hurt. And, and what's damaging for us and and for everybody is that it's going to hurt the men's national team, right. which we do want to follow, which we do buy into, which we are passionate about. In in spite of all of their short recent shortcomings, if if you don't have a strong strong domestic league, it's going to be tough for them to compete on a global scale and just when popularity for for the sport is growing it i don't know i've I've never been more disinterested i guess or more underwhelmed by the performances of our national team yeah well and i have a hard time thinking it's going to get better this summer with uh with the copa america (laughs) centenario we'll see see. you know we're going to get destroyed by Colombia. Like I'm actually Colombia is just going to just uh, it might be like 8 9 I don't know. <laughs> Joe Japan and got beat to, for nothing by the, the I'm World looking Cup. forward to the US doing well and you John and and all the others having to just deal with the, the unbearable grief that's going to come your way that that's what i'm looking forward to listen, one I, you know, obviously to we, want, we want the u.s <laughs> we want the u.s to do well yes but uh, but uh, i think i don't know uh, for you guys there's got to be this notion of not that you want it but if they're but if they underperform you know we're we're right we've, we've been right all along this is damaging this well, is proving that we're right so, not that not nothing guys want it but it does kind of validate the arguments that you guys have been presenting well i think i think it's regardless of of their of their performance in in the copa america this summer um their performances at the you know gold cup and um basically over the last two you know over the last year plus since since the world cup um They've been trash, um, and the fact that the fact that um, you know a college kid walked like straight into the team um, is uh, it should be like even more like damning, I guess, because you know he never played a professional minute in his life, Jordan Morris, yeah. and he goes straight into the team and actually like does you know produces a little bit for them. Um, but I think I think regardless of how of how it's been, you look at the reliance on, um, and still this, who was it um, during a game a couple weeks ago? They someone called Michael Bradley world class again. Oh, no, and like, well, how is that still happening? And like the the thing that I tweeted at the time, and and I believe this, like Michael Bradley hasn't even fucking been good in two <laughs> years. Like he's been bad. Like, forget world class, forget elite, forget great. He's he hasn't even been good. Um, so I think I think like it's you look at the performances of 
of Michael Bradley, you look at the performances of, um, well, Josie, like he's trash. Um, <laughs> but you look at these guys who came back to MLS, um, to play and it's just the level that they were at when they were in Europe and the level that they're at now are, are two different things. And I think it's getting the, the less and less Michael Bradley produces, the harder it's getting to kind of protect or defend that, uh, that point of view of saying, you know, the level of competition, um, you know, at least he's playing all the time now, like Michael Bradley, when he was at Roma or when he was at Mönchengladbach, like he was a better player than he is. Um, and like some of it's him getting older. Um, a lot of people say that for some odd reason, they say that Klinsman plays him out of position, but everyone loved when he was playing in a 10, like before the world cup. And now he's a holding mid who also can't do shit. So (laughs) it's just, um, it, it, I don't really, I, I just, from the men's perspective, like men's national team perspective, obviously want them to do well. Um, but the bottom line, and I don't understand why MLS um, supporters of MLS teams, um, and there are some league supporters out there. I don't, I don't really understand that side of things. Like, um, like I'm not a fan of the Premier League. Um, I hate. 19 teams in the premier league and like one of the, you know, love one of them. Um, but anyways, the, for MLS fans and then fans of MLS teams, they have, um, this notion that, you know, if American players are coming out of MLS to play for the national team, then that's positive. And if they leave for Europe, then they're putting their career in jeopardy and blah, blah, blah. But like, if you don't go and try to compete with the best, then our national team is never going to be the best. And it's going to take a long time for any U S league, whichever it is to be a top league in the world. I mean, you look at the amount of money um, being thrown around world football. It's just the U S is nowhere close. Like it's just not, it's just not there. But like for a player to say, um you know what if i'm if i'm competing for a midfield spot on roma versus playing every day for toronto like there's just it's it's not comparable the the level of competition just isn't there at mm-hmm. toronto if you're if your spot on the team is guaranteed then your level of competition like your level as a player it's just not going to be there because you don't have to bring it every day. Like, you yeah. know, you're on the team sheet. Um, and that's, you just and that's don't have to show the, up. And it's fine for the MLS to be at the level that it, that it is. And it's not, it's not fine for them to try to argue or try to be under this false, pre- false pretense that they're a, a bigger league than they are, that right. they deserve the best players in the U S because there's no, I mean, there you have to have some type of. If you're not a top league, then it's got to be able to develop some players, and it's difficult to do that whenever you, whenever you're you're telling all your top players, no, 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 come back here. This is where you'll get regular playing time. This is where you'll be able to get to perform at your best, and it's it's just flat out not true. Right. And so it's 
you know, if, if it's one player's decision, that's fine. But if it's a, a conscious effort to try to lure them all here, which I definitely, I mean, from 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 Josie to to Bradley to Dempsey to to uh, Tim Howard, it there, there's definitely oh, we're Americans, so we have to go play in the MLS, yeah. and there's this notion that this this false notion that we're it, it it's a top league or it's on par with the x y or z league and it's just not and that's yeah. okay but again it's not okay for our top players right and that's and that's ultimately um i mean just looking at the at it you know strictly numbers wise um there was this poll that came out like an anonymous poll of mls players and they were asked how they thought the best teams in MLS would fare in the Premier League. Um, and they're all crazy because um, 17% thought that the top team in MLS would finish between 5th and ninth in the Premier League. Oh, my God. Um, the rest were, were lower than that. No one thought they would get in the top four, which yeah. is fine but 17 percent thought they'd finish between fifth and ninth um and i think a lot of that was driven by lester's success this year they're like ooh, like small team <laughs> small team competing for no, the title so, so like we could you know the league must not be that good like we could totally compete yeah. the average mls payroll um is is uh eight million dollars lester's <laughs> Which is the uh, Leicester's is the fourteenth smallest, I think, in the Premier League, is sixty eight million. <laughs> so, literally sixty million more <laughs> payroll than than the average MLS team. So yeah. it you know you're talking about factors of ten um, uh, spending wise, and like when your defenders are you know being paid like you know less than less than i am in the army um <laughs> then you know you you have a real problem <laughs> um and and the quality is just not going to be there so for michael bradley to you know face uh those types of of players who are you know the minimum wage like minimum you know minimum salary um mls players in defense and he still isn't like tearing the league up um you know how can we expect him to go out and face the and face like you know uh like this summer he's gonna he's gonna face like uh you know a columbia team a columbia midfield that has you know hamas rodriguez and (laughs) etc like uh, it's just not i don't know i don't know how we would expect him to even perform in a game like that so um it'll it'll be interesting but it's just when you look at the when you look at it kind of in a more binary way you just see that we can't expect our our top players to play in mls and produce on an international stage it's just it's just not possible at the at the current level absolutely but and we've been we've been going for a while here i mean there's there's a lot to be it's been this has been our theme really it's just angry the two <laughs> the two old bitter gringos two old bitter gringos yeah a lot to be upset about that i mean yeah. not with in the liverpool side really only really only one thing just martin's girl but uh, that's it but angry enough to spend 
probably an hour being angry about him. <laughs> I'm going to continue to be angry. Yeah. Um, just so long, or if I never see him again in the Liverpool shirt, it'll be too soon. But uh, no, and, and same for the U.S. too. I mean, some of the things we, we've discussed before, but I mean, the arguments keep coming up because, you know, when the opposition... <laughs> The opposing arguments don't change. Right. You have to keep reiterating, and, and like we I, we probably said it half a dozen times this episode, all the evidence is there. Whether we're talking about Martin Skrtle, whether <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about uh, a European approach, an American approach, it, it it seems clear to anyone. But then again, the majority of the people that that we seem to encounter um, maybe lack. Common sense is a nice way, nice way to put it. Maybe like sporting <laughs> sense or business sense or sporting sense. I would say sporting sense, sporting sense. They have, we'll say. They have. And this is our this is our battle as Euro snobs against the uh, the casual fans of the world that will yeah. that will continue to take on. It will it will continue to rage. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you uh, if you guys made it to this, I think I think I'm thinking about this. I think I may split this one into two into That's two two, two parts just one for the liverpool fans one for the for the us fans um, cuz they're both they both stand alone as far as like amount of content um, <laughs> but uh if you guys made it this far and uh, enjoyed what you heard um then you have found our website um if not you're on iTunes uh leave us a rating subscribe it's uh much appreciated um, but yeah, check out our website. There'll be more stuff on here now that I'm not, you know, in transit from, from Georgia <laughs> to Texas. So, um, there'll be more, more and more content on there in the, in the coming weeks. But, uh, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode and, uh, there'll be more on the way as the, uh, international break comes to a merciful end. Um, please do. Please do. <laughs> For uh, for the two red gringos, this is Phil Baki and uh, Patrick Staley. Adios. Adios, amigos. Mm-hmm.